And today, um, we're going to look at the, uh, this idea of sometimes we don't always want to dwell, do we? Sometimes um, we just don't want to be near God. Um, when we hear King David's promise in Psalm 139 that where can I flee from you, O Lord? We, we want to flee. We want to get as far away from God as we can. But the message I've got this morning is even if we feel like that, Jesus' patient invitation to us is to come. Yeah, our, word, our verses this morning come from Isaiah chapter 1. As you turn there, I just want to give us a bit of a background as to where we are in biblical history. Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. By major, we just mean he has a lot to say. Okay, And Isaiah um, was around... Um, and he talked to the people of Judah. So just to explain, King David's grandson, Joachim, saw the separation of uh, the nation of Israel into two uh, different nations. The top ten tribes by this point have already been destroyed by um, Assyrians, and so we're just left with the last two tribes, um, and they're known as Judah. And these are the people that Isaiah's talking to. And they have long forgotten David's desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. They are evil and they are sinful. And this is where we find ourselves in Isaiah 1. And so Isaiah sets up his book and he sets up like a a courtroom really. And so after introducing himself, he then goes on in verses 2 to 15 to talk about all the things that Judah have done wrong, all the things where they've gone away away from God and been sinful. And so there's a whole 15 verses listing their sins. And then we get to verse 16, which is where God tells them what they need to do. And it says this. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So even in their sinfulness... God's instruction to Judah is really, really simple. Leave all the bad stuff and learn to do good. And then we get to verse 18, which I think quite possibly is the most beautiful invitation in the whole of Scripture. It says this, verse 18, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat all the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In that key verse, we see a combination of God's justice, but also his love and his mercy. Notice that that first word, come. That word just means just to come, to come closer. But it also sometimes is translated in scripture is let's walk together. What God's saying is come to me. I mean, I was just thinking about it. He's also telling us to walk away from where we are. Jim, if I said to you, come here, part of that is you leaving where you are. You have to leave your sin to come to God. And that's what he's saying, come, come. And he says, come now. There's an urgency to his request, but there's also, I hope you notice, a real gentleness to it. And then we get to this, this next word, the phrase that uh, the NIV translates, uh, let us settle the matter. But obviously many of us might recognise it in our various translations as being, let us reason together. It's a single word, yachach, I'm very fluent in Hebrew, yachach. It means to convince, to argue, to think through, to reason together. 
In the court of the law that Isaiah is representing in this passage, it means to dispute, to put both sides of the, the argument and to come to conclusion. It means to settle the matter. What God's doing is he's calling the people of Judah to repentance. He's explaining to them that even though they've sinned, the logical and the sensible thing to do is to turn away from that and to do good. And we call that repentance, and that's what God is calling Judah to do. Even in that situation, God's forgiveness is shining through. He's offering them forgiveness, even though they've made a real mess of it. And I love the use of colours. We think of um, the crimson and the scarlet as being like blood, I guess, and, and the white being God's forgiveness. But actually, it's more than just that. In, in those times, in Isaiah's time, when um, they wanted to dye wool, they often used crimson scarlet because it was the deepest dye they could do. It's the most permanent stain. What they did is they double-dipped the material, and then that was permanent. You couldn't get that stain out. So what God's saying here is no matter how deep your stain is, how, how deep and how much you've sinned, I can make you clean. There might be some people here today who just think they've sinned too much, that they can't possibly be forgiven because they've just done too much, they've messed up so badly. But God is saying, it doesn't matter, even if your sins are crimson and they are scarlet, I can make you white as snow. And so, if you're someone here today who's never come to God for forgiveness, he calls us in this passage to do that. Maybe that's for the first time, or maybe when Catherine read a few weeks ago, you identify as a prodigal son, or maybe even the older brother. Jesus' call to us is to come, to repent of your sins and receive complete forgiveness. And that's certainly what that passage means in that context, verse 18. But also I think there are other situations where we can come and reason with God. I think that's an invitation that's open to all of us. Particularly, I think, when we don't want to dwell. When we're in that place where we don't want to dwell, I believe God's invitation is to us is to come, let us reason together, let us settle the matter. Um, one of these situations is sometimes when we feel hurt by God. Um, I was talking to a grandma recently, and I knew she was a Christian family, and so I thought I asked what I thought was a fairly sort of boring question. I just asked her what church she went to, and actually it, it went really quiet and a little bit awkward, and she said to me, um, I don't go to church at the minute. Actually, me and God aren't on speaking terms right now. And she went on to explain. She'd had some real challenges as a family, and she was struggling. And then, then one of their grandchildren had a diagnosis, and she was devastated. And she just couldn't face talking to God. She was so hurt, and she felt so much pain, and she, she blamed God for some of that, and she just couldn't talk to him. And I know she felt awkward, but actually I really resonated with that. I understood exactly how she felt. In fact, it reminded me of, of a time myself. About 18 years ago, um, my husband's uh, family, uh, his brother and his wife, had decided that they were going to move and emigrate to Australia. And I was absolutely distraught. We were really close to them as a family, but particularly um, my little nephew, Tom. He was, he was five years old at the time, and he was 100% my favourite person in the whole wide world. Right, he and I were like the best friends and we loved each other unconditionally and I was devastated. And when they said they were going to Adelaide, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I prayed that doors would be shut. I prayed that forms would be not filled in right. I prayed, I prayed that, they'd, that, they'd, that, they'd, um, that they'd change their mind, that they'd, they'd see that Tom loved me so much they couldn't go. I prayed all these things, but they left. 
They're still there now. They left. And I was so cross and I was so angry with God and so hurt and so pained that I, honestly I just stopped talking to him. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I did go to church because obviously people would notice then. But I just, I just faked it. For a whole year, I just faked it. I just went and I pretended. And after about a year, one of my friends said to me that she felt I really needed to talk to God about it. She felt she could sense as a friend that I just wasn't right. And she said I needed to talk to God. She didn't use these words, but what she said I should do is, is go reason it out with God. And um, so I did. That night, baby Flo was asleep. Andy'd gone out, which was very rare. But I just was in the home alone. And I just remember sitting on my bed. And for the first time in well over a year, I just started praying to God. And I poured it all out to him. I was so cross and I was so angry. And I told him how hurt I was and how in pain I was. And I ranted and I raved. And I knew I was winning the argument. And it was really good. And I was getting it all out. (laughs) And then then in what was quite possibly the most pivotal moment in my whole life, I then said, I live my whole life for you. And this is how you treat me. And I was like, and in that moment, I heard God really clearly. It wasn't an audible voice, it was a voice in my spirit, but I knew it was from God. And he very gently said to me, are you really living your whole life for me? I think lukewarm is a more accurate description. At that exact moment, I noticed an unread gift, a a copy of Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, And I picked it up and I turned to Revelation 3 because I I knew my Bible enough to know that that's where God talked about being lukewarm. And I opened it up and and I read this. It says this in, in Revelation 3 in the message. I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not hot, you're not cold. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant, you make me want to vomit. Oh, oh, I like pick my chin up off the floor But I kept reading, and to paraphrase the paraphrase, it goes on to say, you think you're all that, and you're not. And I was stunned. But then I got to verse uh, 19, and it says this, the people I love, I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they live up to their best. Up on your feet. Get up then, about face. Run after God. Now I have to confess I didn't get up on my feet, I got down on my face and I cried and I cried, a proper ugly cry. But that night, God and I settled the matter. In fact, we settled two matters. The first matter we settled settled, was that he was king and I was not. He was God and I was not. Catherine gave a word last week, didn't she, about how Jesus won't share the throne with anyone else. And that night, 18 years ago, it was settled for me that Jesus was king in my life. And the other thing I settled right then, that night forever, was how much I was loved by God. I realised in that moment that the King of Kings loved me deeply. And actually, I was able then, once I'd recovered and got over it, able to get up and run for God. Now, don't get me wrong, that is the only running I will ever do, which is probably why it's only my, which is probably why it's only my hair that's thin. But I did, at that point, I got up and I moved on. So we can reason with God when we sin and he will, he will cause us to come and confess. And we can uh, do this thing when we're feeling hurt of just arguing it out of him and working it through of him. But I think another area we can reason with God is if we've got questions. There's so many questions we've got. And we're in, in, his, 
actual ministry, Jesus faced so many questions. I've just wrote a few down here. Uh, John the Baptist got his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come or shall we expect someone else? In Matthew 11. Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born again when he is old? In John 3. The disciples asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In Matthew 18. In the same chapter, Peter says, how often should I forgive? And then final example, an expert of the law says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus engaged with every single one of those questioners. Sometimes he gave a really simple answer, but often he answered using parables or he came back with another question. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to engage them and trying to get the questioner to think through, to reason through their, their question and to sort of work it out for themselves. See, God's fascinated by our questions. He loves us to ask him questions. It's not something that he dislikes. He, he wants to hear our questions. I don't know about you, but the last year I felt like I've asked God quite a lot of questions. As we um, studied that Worship Fit for a King series, it, it raised up some issues for me. I, I, I needed to study and understand more. In our life group, we were studying last year about um, spiritual gifts. And again, I, I didn't understand it and I was confused and I had to take it to God in prayer. And I felt, rather than that being something that God didn't like, I felt God's real pleasure as I leant in and I tried to understand more. So God's um, invitation to us, if we've got questions, is come, let's work this out, let's reason together. What about doubts? Thinking about doubts. Throughout the Bible, we see lots of people with doubts. Who do we think of when we think of somebody in the Bible who had doubts? Thomas, yeah, Thomas. Thomas had doubts, but see how Jesus dealt with Thomas. He says to him, come over. Have a look, touch my hand, put your finger through the holes, see my side. God didn't turn him away, he welcomed those questions. But it isn't just Thomas. I was looking through, I was thinking of a few. Adam, Eve, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, the list goes on. They were all doubters. Even Jesus' own family had their doubts. And actually, turn with me quickly in your, in your Bibles, if you can, to Matthew 28. I love this passage. It's one of, if you've been at church at all, it's a passage you'll be really familiar with. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus has just been resurrected and he's arranged to meet the disciples. Let's see if you've noticed this before. Verse 16 of Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Can you believe that? Can you believe? I can't, I can't believe it. I've read it this week that they've just met with the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and they're still doubting. But God doesn't turn them away. Notice, He just goes on to do this famous passage that we all know. Jesus then says to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even those doubting disciples, Jesus promised to be with them. He promised that he would be with them and that they could come and dwell with him. That his invitation for them was to dwell and it's for us too. If we have doubts, we can come and dwell and my final point today is that all these things, our hurts and our questions and our doubts and even our sin, 
Just that they, they, they lead us in a position where we can, we're postured to be able to be renewed by the transforming of our mind. Just sometimes we don't understand God. Sometimes God does stuff that we just don't get. Um, in fact, Isaiah himself says this in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. Sometimes we just don't get it. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul does something really interesting. He quotes Isaiah again, saying something similar. He says this, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But here's the amazing thing about that verse in 1 Corinthians, is that Paul then says, actually, we kind of do, because we ha-. he says this, you have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That's kind of actually mind-blowing. But it's not saying that we have Christ's mind. Obviously, Jesus was Jesus and he was God. We don't have his mind. But what we do, if you're in Christ, if I'm in Christ this morning, we have the ability to be able to think like Jesus. Through the Spirit talking to us and working us, we can begin to understand what he's doing. In fact, in Romans 12, verse 2, uh, Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's how we're to know God, how we're to stand out from the crowd, how we're not to be like everyone else through the transformation of our mind. And in Ephesians 4, we're told that how we stop acting like our old self and we start acting like the new self is through that transformation of our mind. It says this. Um, what does it say? It's, on the, oh, it's, not, it's gone. It's disappeared. But it says that we're transformed through our mind. Uh, the spirit of our mind comes in. Um, and here's how it works. The more we dwell, the more God can talk to us, the more his spirit can speak to us, the more we learn about him and the more we can take on his mind. And who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be more like Christ? And that's the invitation God gives us today, to come and reason and learn and speak to him. And so as we come to the end of this series, we come to the end of this series, the invitation from the King of Kings is to come now. Not tomorrow, but to come now. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is calling us to come into his presence. He might just be calling us to continue to delight in him and be like David and to enjoy his presence. Um, as the band come up quietly to play for us, we're going to think of a few things that God might be saying to us. For some of us, it might be that God is still stood there, hands held out, waiting for us to hand him that heavy load. Maybe we did it three weeks ago and somehow we found ourselves picking it back up. He offers again to take it back if you're willing to give it. Maybe God is showing you where you need spiritual refreshment and drink from the living water he provides. Is he telling you again, because you weren't listening last week, to put, maybe he's telling me, to put aside those distractions and to become more Mary and less Martha? Maybe he's telling you today to come with your questions and your doubts. He wants you to approach him with confidence, not embarrassment. He wants you to know the delights of you leaning in and learning more from him. I do actually wonder if there's someone here today who feels hurt and let down by God. Like me, 18 years ago, you come to church and you pretend it's okay, but deep down, there's just no relationship there. 
I just want to say today, your loving Father is calling you back into relationship. He's calling you just to work it out with him, to reason it through. He might tell you off, but he will promise you that he loves you. And finally, possibly, there are people here who, don't, who know that they're not right with God. They know that they're living a sinful life. God's call to you today is to turn from the bad and learn to do good. He died on the cross so that you could be saved and be forgiven. And he invites you today to dwell with him, to make him Lord of your life. He is offering this simple and beautiful invitation. Come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool.